This podcast is brought to you by Hound. Hound comments on style violations and GitHub pull requests, allowing you and your team to better review and maintain a clean code base. Try it now at houndci.com. I just listened to the episode last week where I had a cold, and I was like, my voice yeah. sounds my voice sounds better. <laughs> okay. It's a good podcast voice. I should always have a cold. I think I'm just going to talk like I have a cold constantly now or something. Get that nice deep radio voice going. Yeah. I don't know how to replicate it without now that my cold is mostly gone. <coughs> Sorry for my regular voice, everyone. <laughs> Hi, Sean. Hi, Derek. Keeps Tom happy. Now he knows when the episode actually starts. So I did just listen to our last episode. I'm doing the notes for it and stuff. I have a very uh, important thing I'd like to bring to your attention. Okay. We have to take a sabbatical on talking about Semver. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, didn't we do an episode on Semver or, or six of them? Yeah, I think we did. Uh, about six sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's. Uh, this is ep- this is going to be episode one forty one. I think we should avoid the term semver or semantic versioning for the next twenty episodes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> ten episodes. Hopefully, nobody's surprised that two people who uh, maintain open source libraries and use a lot of open source have strong opinions about versioning for open source and can discuss things that are very clearly labeled as semantics. <laughs> Also that. <laughs> okay, fine. No more Semver talk. All right, at least ten episodes. I have a, a a thing that could just be a small thing, but maybe maybe it'll be a bigger thing. Okay. So I'm working on a project right now that was going along just fine for a company that has a few different products, and most of the Thoughtbot folks were working on one of those products, and. Um, what happened was a whole bunch of priorities changed for the company and they were like, actually, we need all of you people over on this product instead. And here are, they laid out like four or five different, like really important priorities for the company. Things were changing fast and, you know, this was the most important stuff to their business. And so then they, then we immediately started talking about, they immediately started talking about like, should we get more people? How can we get more people in here? And doing it also while calling out the fact that they want to be cognizant of the fact that they could be mythical man-monthing themselves. Right. Which, just as an aside, in case people aren't, fa- aren't aware of what Mythical Man Month is, it's a book that is an interesting read if you're into project management type stuff. But basically, the idea boils down to like, you can't, like, if a project is going to take you, say, nine months, you can't just have nine people do it in one month. The classic example being like, you can't have nine women make a baby in one month, right? <laughs> um, it takes one woman nine months or thereabouts. Uh, <laughs> That's one thing you could use as an example. Sure. (laughs) That was the classic one given to me by my software engineering professor, who I believe uh, presented it in a way. He said, if you want to have a baby, you can't line nine women up and say, go, baby, go. That was how he (laughs) 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 that was how he presented it to us. Anyway, so they're really sensitive to this. And it was like they want to have a conversation about it. They want to make sure that like everybody's working really efficiently. And that's really cool. But then I feel like every time there's one of these conversations where it's like we have a whole bunch of work to to do. We know that it's not always parallelizable. Right. Um, So -hmm. we want to be sensitive to that. But we also want to get it done as fast as we possibly can. That two things happen. There's this weird period right after a 
big batch of work or multiple big batches of work have been identified where nobody knows what they're doing, right? Where it's like, oh yeah, I see this giant project. How do we break, how, how do we make progress? Is that actionable right now? What do we like? So there's this weird like reverse thing that happens where productivity actually crashes. <laughs> right. As everybody figures out like how do we make way in this, uh, we have this giant shift in priorities and we're also trying to figure out how we can do as much stuff across people as possible. And then there's a second thing that happens, which I don't have a good answer for fighting. I think the first thing is like you just power through that and you make sure you're really explicit about what needs to be done. The second thing is I feel like it once you get into this, like we need to do this work parallelizable in a parallelized way, you end up making different trade-offs than you would. And some of those trade-offs aren't very good. So like as an example, we may have a project that like, well, clearly it's going to need to store whatever in the database. So we should have a data model for whatever. And so you start, you're like, okay, well, we need a data model because the first thing we're going to do is like import some data from somewhere. And then we can work on the import. If we have the data model, we can work on the importer while we also work on the part that's going to be reading data out and presenting it to the user. So you have no actual user feature that's driving like, what does this data need to look like? Right. Um, but you've optimized for the fact that now you can have two people doing a task and knowing that there may be some like trading that goes on as those two tasks come to completion be like, actually, I need the data in slightly this different. But even acknowledging that small trade off there, I feel like you're missing something where like you didn't drive at this data model from any particular feature. So right. the, the result you end up with is probably not great for either one of those implementations. And I don't know. I don't have an answer around like have you <laughs> I, that, that's just a thing that's happening and i don't i think maybe it's just like when you're in this mode you need to make that trade-off and i guess maybe it's just that maybe that maybe the answer is that you need to acknowledge the trade-off when you're making it and be like okay well we can parallelize these two things it may mean that we end up with a solution that's not great for either one of those two tasks but does get the job done one thing i like to do when i have a large series of serial tasks in front of me is make sure i have a pair mm-hmm it's much more important if you have a large number of serial tasks that you want to do one after another, where you know for sure that, you know, part B is going to uh, need to use code that you wrote in part A, mm -hmm. simply because that way, if you have a pair, you don't get blocked waiting for code review. <laughs> right, because the pair has been doing your code review. That's right, fair. So the pair is reviewing it with you the whole time. Right. I, I still like, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't think being blocked for code review is a huge part of things. At least on the projects I'm on, I think I always try to instill like a, hey, this is ready. Can somebody review this right now? Or, you know, in the next however long. Even when pairing, I do, I do tend to like to have somebody else at least look at the code. It's not a, I no longer make it a, like a requirement. Like if it is like, no, we need to keep going, then, you know, sure, keep going. Right. But because I like to see, I, I think we've had this conversation before, but hey, let's have it again. Uh, <laughs> I like to see that the changes I'm making make sense to somebody who wasn't there the entire time that we were building up this context. Yeah. While I see your point, again, I also just think that there are points in time where I just value the being able to continue working on the same set of features without a context switch more. That's true. And that the, I think that's, again, another trade-off that you can make. As with all things, I think the answer to all these things, all, all these questions really comes down to it depends, but that's not an interesting answer right. to tell a lot of people. And like almost as a separate topic, like I find myself <laughs> like the it depends answer is applicable to people depending on the level of experience and skill that they have. Right. So like early on in your career, when somebody says like, how should I do X or maybe you as an expert in your career, somebody earlier on in experience level says to you, like, how should I do X? 
I feel like I'm more likely to give an answer that's like, you should do these three things, right? And be very, be much more unequivocal and be like, I think this is a good way to do this. Whereas as they progress, as their skill level progresses and maybe their question gets a little more nuanced as well, I'm much more likely to give the answer of like, well, here's my first thought is this, but you may also need to consider this other thing right? and kind of make that guiding. I don't know where that really dovetails into the conversation we were just having but uh <laughs> it depends anyway so yeah. do you have any good advice for so like let's say you have a pile of work that if it weren't for strict timelines which have already you know we've already debated these timelines and the timelines are what they are sure. if it weren't for strict timeline you might have one or two people work mostly in serial on this work for a couple sprints or three sprints and get that work done but now it needs to be done in one and a half sprints or two sprints, right? And so right. now you've got to find a way to either cut scope. And so, yes, that's, a, that's another ongoing negotiation of like, well, do we really need to do you know, all of these things or can we do half of them? And that's an ongoing negotiation. But then there's also a matter of like, well, we, have all the, we do have people. So we do have people we can parallelize this task. And right. I feel like even people who are willing to hear the answer that you know, you can't have more people working on this project to make it go faster, just really don't want that to be the answer. And so right. your natural reaction is to say like, well, I guess we could have somebody do this other thing while I do this, you know, and kind of get yourself into a situation where the resulting work is not going to be optimal. I mean, it's also just going to depend on how inherently serializable it is. Like I wouldn't really ever go for one person works on the importer while the other person works on the thing that's reading the data to split it up like I would always look for things that are probably belong to different controllers okay or if the controller is already there maybe just different views on that controller but things where like you're actually very legitimately likely to not be stepping on the other person's toes yeah of course that's why it's always really important to get things like auth done early on so that way you have your user model and whatever other god objects gonna be in your system done very early on so at least that one doesn't get duplicated yep that's something that like whenever I'm starting a new project I'm always tempted to be like wait we don't have a requirement for auth so we shouldn't do it yet. Like there's been no requirement that blog posts need to belong to a user. It's just that people need to post blog posts. But it's, it, it's like what you just said is the ex counter example to that. Like, you know, from the start, if your thing is going to need auth, if it's going to need it, just do it as the first step so that yeah. it's there implicit. It's there because the requirement is probably implied in several other cards or several other tickets that you're going to be working on very in very short order. Well, it's more there to have the user model more than having the, the authentication factor of it but right. you know you need a way to log in and then you maybe you, your requirements for auth come in and they're completely different but presumably you still end up with a user model as a result of that and then the actual authentication part of it is much easier to throw away and do differently if need be but you know clear uh clearance makes it very easy to get <laughs> a uh passable auth solution <laughs> yeah. in like 15 minutes sure sure um i don't know how i feel about that plug <laughs> maybe don't you i mean i, I <laughs> I'm literally just thinking that is what I would do. Uh, yeah. I, the very first thing I would do on every project is just, you know, generate my user model and then run the clearance generators. All right. Thank you. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just like the weird spot I'm in with this project of like, okay, we've got a, we're in that weird trough of <laughs> what's the saying trough of disillusionment from? <laughs> oh, the, um, the hype cycle. Yeah. So it's not that, but it's, <laughs> that's a good name where there's like this trough of like, you get really excited about maybe not excited like i can't wait to do this but excited about like there's a lot of energy around something there's no. a lot of energy around these it's the hype cycle it's the gartner hype cycle is it really i guess it is sorry continue so i'm, I'm looking at this i'm looking at this image the hype cycle 
image on Wikipedia. So we have our peak of inflated expectations, right? right. So that's like, that's like, we need, we need, right. So we need, that would be, we need these three things by next week, right? In this scenario, that's what this is. Or we need these three things by three weeks from now, whatever. And then there's the trough of disillusionment of like, oh, how are we going to get all of this done? How are we going to, how are we going to possibly take all this work that we kind of had slotted for the next six months and do it in six weeks? Or whatever the case may be and then there's the slope of enlightenment where you start to see a way out right where you're like okay well if we do this a little bit and we change this and then you have your plateau of productivity where you've like figured out what you're going to do and you start doing it right of course this is meant to apply to technologies not so much projects but it can work yeah yeah i just we just backed our way into it working here so yeah we're in that trough of disillusionment <laughs> on our way through the slope of enlightenment hopefully and then eventually to our, uh, hopefully, you know, our, we don't have a plateau of productivity. We have like an explosion of productivity, an ever increasing, I don't know, mountain of, of productivity. That, that's how code bases work. As more, as more <laughs> code gets added, you become more and more productive working in that code base. Yeah, because you, can, you have all the code that you yeah, can reuse. You can clearly. use all the other code. <laughs> clearly, that's how it works. <laughs> God, shouldn't that uh, really be how it works? Why doesn't it work that way? <laughs> I mean, wasn't that the promise of object-oriented programming was that we were never going to have to program anything again because we would just reuse an existing object? Um, I don't know, but sure. That sounds like a thing it could be. <laughs> I feel like that's how Sun was marketing it around the early days of Java. Oh, I mean, I just remember the early days of Java. I just remember write once, run everywhere or, sure. any, or anywhere. I don't know if it was any or every, but that's what I remember from my early early Java days. Yeah, anywhere would definitely be more correct. I mean, it's not it's not Ethereum. <laughs> ah, ha, ha. yeah okay so that's where i'm at with that best of luck Thank hopefully you. it is a thing that you can split up well i mean i don't know that there's much to that you can say on it if you are in a situation where just no actually this isn't a task that we can really parallelize yeah it's just, it, I, I think it is i just don't think it is right now and i think as a result we end up with a bunch of people who are kind of like looking around like wow this doesn't make any sense because i hear about all this work that needs to get done but there's nothing I can do right now. And so I think it's going to be a weird, awkward couple of weeks or week where like some base level of work is done until we get to a point where we can parallelize things more easily. So I'm hoping that's where we're at now is like we're getting to that point where uh, productivity will pick up once again. I mean, one other thing you can do with if you're, you know, with people in that situation is like if there are any big technical unknowns for the project while they're blocked on doing you know, actual feature work, have them just explore, learn about the edge cases of whatever unknown there is. Yep. That makes sense. Maybe less applicable when the project doesn't involve building 3D rendering engines or augmented reality or nonsense <laughs> like that. But Well, all projects involve some sort of like, a, a lot of this is like importing data from some unknown third party. It's like, well, start looking at this data and see if it's as clean as we think it is. Right? Because right. I'm sure it's not. And so figure out the ways in which it's not and start documenting that. Uh, right. There's things we can start do. writing test cases against their documentation. See how <laughs> see where the API actually does not match what they say it does. Mm -hmm. So how about you? What have you been up to the last week? Uh, not much. I mean, um, we're we're kicking off at work the Rails five two upgrade. So I've been working on that, getting that started. What do we have coming for us in Rails five two? Um, active storage, I believe, is the is the main feature. Yeah, there's a lot of chat about active storage, as you might imagine, in the Thoughtbot Ruby developer sphere. Because, you know, we have paperclip. <laughs> right. The discussion that we're having right now is basically like, let's just deprecate paperclip and say use active storage, which I think is what is going to end up happening. 
I mean, I remember this conversation happening about Refile and mm-hmm. uh, what's the other one? Carrier Wave. And I yeah. I remember, I remember like back when I still worked there, people were talking about Deprecate in, fa- in favor of Carrier Wave and Refile. I mean, to be honest, there's not a lot of there's there's nobody here really excited about working on it. Sure. It's a thing that we still do use on projects, but there is now a thing in Rails or will be a thing in Rails that does most of what we would use this for. Um, and is clearly going to see more rapid development, at least at this point, than what we're doing. So um, sure. I don't think it's a, it should be a surprise. But I mean, it's not just like we're going <laughs> to... This is not an official plan. This is coming from a Slack conversation that I was kind of involved in the other day. So this is not an official announcement of no. Paperclip being deprecated. No. But the the plan, if we were to do it, right? If we were to do that, the plan would not be like, okay, we've deprecated it. Move all your stuff to active storage or whatever. Action storage? Active storage? Active storage. Okay. It would be, we're deprecating it, and here's how to migrate your stuff to right. active storage. So hopefully we make some progress on that. Because I, I, I think that Paperclip has kind of hung out in this area of um, kind of not really well maintained for quite a while. And so somebody taking on like what becomes essentially a first party solution, right? If it's supported by Rails itself, uh, seems like a, a great sign that maybe it's time to exit. <laughs> well, and the really nice thing with active storage, that is, I, I, I'm not super on top of the differences between the various file upload libraries these days. But as far as I know, active storage is the only one that really puts a, a decent emphasis on making direct upload to S3 work out of the box. Yep. As opposed to having it upload to your server and then your server uploads to S3. So that's really nice. Yeah, that sounds like a good thing. <laughs> I was excited yeah. about that. Um, and it looked okay. The API for it all, all looked fine. Yeah, I found it interesting. Just the implementation, all files are stored in a separate table as opposed to as columns on whatever table they belong to, mm-hmm. which in my mind makes it slightly more potentially likely to hit uh, index size issues or you know, just running out of primary keys. You won't run out of primary keys because we're 64-bit. But um, I don't know. I, I guess there's pros and cons to it. You don't have you don't have these ex- this extra data getting loaded when you don't need it. On the other hand, you it's an opportunity for n plus ones to sneak into your application. Yeah. But it also does work more nicely. Just you don't have to have a weird additional model for a has many files situation. Right. I just pulled up the original beta announcement for Rails 5.2. And the other thing in here was that we've kind of recently talked about was the... Uh, Early hints? Well, no, that they're getting rid of um, this notion of secrets and encrypted secrets ah, with a yeah. new thing called credentials. And I, I think I had already heard about that, which is why I was like, oh, even more churn here. But like an admission that like, oh, we kind of created a mess here. <laughs> like, let's let's unify this under something. There's a lot of stuff here that you're going to that that people aren't going to notice either. That is good. Like if you generate a new application, this only affects the default gem file. So if you're just upgrading, you'll actually need to manually do this. But it includes Bootsnap, which is a thing that Shopify made. Yeah, it's awesome. We've talked about it on the show and it's great and you should put it in your thing if you're not. <laughs> you should do it yeah. today. If you ever notice that it's put in your gem file in any way other than my app just boots up faster, that's a bug and you should open an issue and then remove it from your gem file after you open the issue. But uh, it should, for, for everything, just be like you stick this in your gem file and your app boots faster and everything's great. And uh, our friend friend of the show, Olivier, made that change where uh, when you're running in development mode, queries that get kicked off will show you where they got kicked off from in the logs? Yep. There was some talk about it being a little too noisy and enabled in a few too many places. I'm not sure what the final state of that ended up being. I think it's still in there, though. I'll have to check. 
Uh, and then, of course, I think we talked about it on the show when I reworked how ARL manages bind parameters inside of Active Record. We have talked about that a few times. I only remembered that this is in 5.2 because I ne- those sort of fixes, I never remember what version that goes out in. Right. But uh, Shopify had some monkey patches that broke, and so I was going and fixing the code in Shopify's code base, and that, that was my reminder. Oh, <laughs> right, I did this in 5.2. But who, no, it's who one broke of those, this? You're oh, never wait, gonna... I did. <laughs> It's one of those you're never unless you know unless you're monkey patching and relying on ARL and relation internals, you're never going to notice that change. Other than just hey, this there's a class of bugs that you might have been running into before that are now gone. Cool. And yeah, some early H, some HTTP two stuff with early hints. So I don't yep. know, I don't know what early hints are, but sure, sounds good. Uh, <laughs> Basically, it's a way of your server telling uh, when the web browser comes to the server and says, hey, hello, I would like this page, please. You say, OK, here's the page. And then you also say, by the way, you're going to need to start kicking off a request for each of these other files, basically any assets that you have linked on the page. And you basically put these in the headers so that the uh, server can start um, loading those immediately as opposed to waiting for the entire request body to come in and start parsing that. All right, then. That sounds good. That's cool. More HTTP2. H2. Can we just go H2? H2 is what it is officially referred to in the, as in the spec. Okay. So more H2 coming our way. That's good. Yeah. It should be a good release. It's a smaller release. Um, that you know The goal is to start releasing more frequently. The beta came at a more reasonable short pace. The uh, going from beta to final release has not followed that quite so much. <laughs> Are we in a release candidate phase at this point? I can't remember. Raphael keeps saying, yeah, I'm going to do that today. Oh, so there isn't a release candidate yet? All right. No. Cool. There will be a release candidate, and then one week after that will be the final release, and that should happen any day now. So I went to a a, a neighborhood party, and there were some other parents there, and one of them is a developer, and he was has done some Ruby and Rails, and he was asking me, he's like, you know, I haven't used a recent version of Rails. I think, you know, is, is it still on 4 whatever? And I was like, oh, no, they're up to 5.1 now. And he was like... Oh, oh, what what new stuff got added? And I was like, uh <laughs> like it's I mean the, the correct <laughs> answer is it's faster and there are less bugs. Right. I the answer I en- ended up giving was like I, I was like, oh man, I use this every day. What is in there? I ended up giving an answer of just like it's just more mature and like rounded out and there are fewer bugs and weird areas of active record and like and then I was like, oh, and there's a bunch of stuff I don't use, like action cable for web sockets and like <laughs> right stuff like that but um but i think it's like a sign of a you know we've talked before just like a maturing there's no like huge new feature you know system tests really aren't gonna rate you know if you, you could you could write system test like things before um right. so that doesn't that doesn't even enter my mind as a thing that's new well being able to use uh transactions for those tests that's a pretty big deal yeah in the context of the conversation i was having was probably not gonna rate you know like <laughs> No, sure. I mean, and that won't until I'm just... This is not an announcement or an indication that I know exactly where it's at. This is just my shot in the dark. I'm guessing around Rails 6 is when we'll we'll start to provide support for Parallel Test Runner out of the box. That'll be awesome. Which requires, for example, system tests using a transaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. What else? Anything else going on? Uh, I mean, not too much. Okay. Things, are, things have been winding down lately, it seems like. In a good way? Yeah. Okay. It's funny. I like you know in the evenings. I yeah. I had that big burst where I was trying to get Diesel 1.0 out, and then I, and then another big burst to get 1.1 out because I had all these features I really wanted to work on. And now it's like I I open the issue tracker. I look at the 1.2 milestone. 
there's not a whole lot to do. And the stuff that is there to do, I'm, I'm purposely not doing because it's something that would be a good feature, a good first feature for a new contributor. Oh, what a nice guy. But so, no, but it's just like, <laughs> there's a lot less for me to do on this project than there used to be, which is probably good. Awesome. I do have one more thing. Okay. So you're listening to this podcast, folks that are listening to this podcast, likely doing some form of Rails development, JavaScript development, web development in general. ThoughtBot is once again hiring. More specifically, I am hiring people in Boston. I know that we're also looking for developers in London, in Raleigh, and in Austin. So uh, if you're in any of those locations and want to work with us, then you should do that. But specifically, if you're a Boston area web developer and you're interested in working for ThoughtBot, you should get in touch. So we'll put a link to the job description down in the show notes and you can go check that out. If you read through that and you're like, wow, this sounds like a really great place to work, and it is, but your initial reaction is like, I have to get my application in order, please don't. If you're interested in working, just reach out. Go ahead and fill out the application to the best of your ability or send me an email or whatever the case may be. That's Derek at ThoughtBot.com. And uh, we can chat about it and see where you're at and see if we're going to be a good fit because uh, we'd love to add to the team. We'd love to grow the team here in Boston. So, But Derek, what if my resume is not up to date? <laughs> Do not worry about your resume, because as we've discussed on this show, I'm probably not going to look at it very closely. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, people's resumes, I, I am interested to see, like, kind of like, where have they been? How long is their work history? Sure. That kind of thing. Um, but I'm probably not going to read it point by point very closely. I'm more interested in the things that we'll discuss, either if you reach out directly or that you can uh, talk about in the free form areas of the application if you fill out the application on the website, which is more like, what's it like to work with you? That kind of thing. Code samples are always good if you can provide them. If you're really hamstrung and can't provide a code sample, even a small code sample, doesn't matter. Reach out anyway, and we'll figure something out. So uh, don't let that be a blocker. That's what I'm saying. So yeah, I hope that through this conversation that I get overwhelmed with emails. That's what I want. <laughs> what were you saying? Oh, I was just, um, the, it was funny. You mentioned how long have you been working is a thing that you look at the resume for. Not, ne not necessarily to exclude or to include people, but just to get a sense of their experience, right? Well, no, I just, I think it's funny because um, do you include like your full work history on your resume? I have not had a lot of jobs, so I can still do that if I wanted to and, prob okay. and probably keep it at two pages. Like once I graduated, I still, if I limit it to only jobs I had since I graduated college, that's three jobs. So like, or three, okay. three companies, I could split that into promotions and things in, in, among those. And I have, I still sure. like to include, like I interned at Microsoft and IBM. I think I bumped IBM off the resume the last time, but I would still like to, I still like to include my internship at Microsoft because it's an interesting experience to talk about when people want to talk about it. And well, no, and those are the ones, right? So the ones I bump off are the like my very first job in the industry. I was there for over a year, and if my resume is going to reflect how long I've been working, it, it I would need to have that on there or somewhere else. Just say I've been working for X years, but like I have nothing interesting to say about that job. I don't even remember a single thing I worked on. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. What you list on your resume may just be a an approximation or even a bad approximation of how long your your experience in the industry is but that's the type of thing i'm looking at a resume for it doesn't actually tell me whether or not i'm i think that this is a good candidate for thoughtbot or not it's just another sure. thing that enters my brain about a candidate's profile but yeah, yeah i was I, I was just curious it wasn't like yeah i had i wasn't saying there's anything wrong with you saying that you look for that on the resume i just found that interesting because i was i was just thinking about it not too long ago like should i even keep these on uh, on a resume i really think it's a great like i hem and haw about why i have a linkedin account 
because I've never, right. I've never actually used it. Although I do use it for things like when we're looking to hire people and I look through people's networks and find interesting people that way. So it has a value there, but also like when people apply for jobs and it can suck in, I don't know if we have a thing that explicitly says like attach your LinkedIn resume or whatever, but like the system we use is good about like, Oh, they gave me this name and this email or whatever. And then like finding up oh, here's their LinkedIn profile and here's some full details on them, that kind of thing. I don't know if our application process actually just lets you use LinkedIn, but I but I know you can print to PDF from LinkedIn, so you could you know you could do that if you're being hung up on providing a resume, or like I said, just don't get hung up on providing a resume and uh, either if you can leave that field blank. I think you can leave that field blank on our on our application, or just reach out by email. And that could probably goes for any of our developer positions if you're really interested. So go ahead and reach out. That's all I have on that. Cool. <laughs> Can confirm. It's a good place to work. Yeah, it's great. So like, the, and specifically, the Boston application says that we're looking for a Rails and JavaScript developer. That's because we decided that the focus on hiring a Ruby on Rails developer who does JavaScript is kind of a proven focus for us. And also, the types of candidates we would hire with that experience would also probably do well in the other areas that we do work in, although we do less of it. So the job description for Boston also indicates that like, yes, we also work with Elixir, with Elm, and actually do some Scala work as well. And that's not just aspirational. Those are actually client projects that we are either currently working on or have shipped recently. So if you're worried about only doing Rails or JavaScript, don't worry about it. If you are worried about how you don't have experience with Elixir or Elm or any of those things, you know, we're confident that people who are well experienced in Ruby and Rails, that we have the right environment to teach them those things if they're interested. And if you know you only if you're like ah, oh, but I'm really passionate about Elixir, you'll still get that opportunity here as well. So, again, Derek at Thoughtbot.com. <laughs> <laughs> this has been brought to you by. Oh wait, it is actually brought to you by Thoughtbot, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Anything else? I mean, not really. I'm. I have to rewrite all of Diesel's code, Jen. Okay. Which maybe will be more interesting to talk about once I finish doing that. Okay. Let's do that then. The library we use to parse things and deal with ASTs and whatnot had a big release that has features that we want eventually, but is very incompatible with the prior release and doesn't have a clear migration path. And after talking to the guy who makes it, it just came out like, I just need to actually rewrite the whole damn thing. Oh. Which, you well, know. It'll give you something to do, and you're lacking for things to do. So, <laughs> All right. Maybe we should just wrap up then. Yeah. All right. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 141. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback about any of our episodes, you can tweet us at underscore bikeshed, email us at hosts at bikeshed.fm, or leave a comment on our website. If you want to apply for a developer position at ThoughtBot, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash jobs, or you can email me directly at derek at thoughtbot.com. Thanks for listening to the Bike Shed, and we'll see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, Raleigh, and Washington, D.C., let's build something great together.